Well, good morning. Oh, you guys are more energetic than first service. Hooray! <laughs> extra time in bed, extra coffee this morning. Um, before I get going, just to draw attention to um, Governor Kate Brown has released some new regulations um, for COVID, and so we're having some conversations about that. But here's what you need to know. We will be meeting here next week. Um, we will send you out some information this week over email. If you don't get email, if you call into the church, we'll let you know. But, but one of the things that, that, there's lots of ways this can happen, but legally we can have 25 people in here, we can have 25 people out there, and so we're going to sort something out to continue to meet and still follow the regulations and honor some of the people around about that, that have uh, some concerns. So I think we should be able to do it and make it happen and still... Uh, honor what the government's asking of us. So we will send you the information this week. Um, so we'll watch out for that. So, um, oh, the other thing, uh, little insight into me, I have a thing for red shoes. Like you've not seen this yet. I have a thing for red shoes. When Mon and I got engaged, and my favorite pair of red shoes, and uh, they had to feature in the engagement pictures. So there's all these pictures of me and Monica in these nice poses, and I'm like, <laughs> get the shoes. So um, just a little insight into me. Anyway, let's jump in to what Paul wants to have us praying over our church this week. Um, so we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Next week will be the last week of this series. Can you believe it? That's like, this is week 9, 10 weeks next week. It's crazy. Um, so we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to read Paul's words, and then as always, we'll jump back and just understand a little bit of his context. So, um, so just so you've got it in mind, Thessalonians, Thessaloniki is a place that Paul had visited, um, and he was there for a very short amount of time. So persecution came, some people were opposing what he was doing, and so he had to leave pretty quickly. So this is a church where he didn't get a lot of time with the people, despite wanting to. So these letters back and forward that he's writing to the Thessalonian church are really like him trying to recover from not getting enough time with them. Um, and so 1 Thessalonians obviously comes first, and then this letter. So let's see what he's saying to this group of people that he had to leave hastily. Um, so this is his prayer for them and, and what we are going to be praying as a church. He says, uh, starting in verse 11, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he would bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this, this incredible prayer for these people, what's the prayer? It's a prayer that would be worthy of his calling. It's a prayer that he would bring to fruition all of the desires we have and all of the acts that we're doing prompted by faith. And ultimately, a prayer that the name of Jesus would be glorified in our midst. But, I mean, as you see, it starts with this little phrase, with this in mind. So let's just jump back and fly through the beginning of chapter 1, just to get the context. What's Paul's flow of thought that leads him to this point? So starting in verse 3. Um, he's writing to this church, we ought always to thank God for you. Hear the constant always language. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. 
Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. So before I go any further, if you remember back two weeks ago, uh, where we're looking at a prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3, and what was Paul's prayer for the Thessalonian church? He said, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as our does for you, may he strengthen your hearts so that you'd be blameless and holy in the middle of all the persecution that they were facing. So, so Paul is praying this prayer in, in, uh, in this passage at the beginning of ch- uh, chapter one of Second Thessalonians and he's saying, like, we thank God because your faith is growing. The love you have for one another is increasing. Among the churches, we're boasting about your perseverance and the faith that we're seeing in the middle of trials. So, so I don't know how long went in between these two letters, but Paul was praying for this church, and here he's beginning with, like, I'm seeing the answers to the very things that I've been praying for you. So that's an encouragement as we're praying these things over our church. God is going to answer because these are aligned with the heart of God. Um, as it goes on in, in uh, verse 7 of chapter 1, He says, all this, all this that I'm seeing, your your faith growing, your perseverance in trial, all of this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will repay back trouble to those who trouble you and he'll give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Like what an image. We have a God who is just. And when the church is suffering, when the church is persecuted, God will repay people for the persecution that they're giving to his people. But when does it happen? This image, like Elena's through in the other room. Ron, you need to get her to draw this. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with powerful angels. And like, what a powerful image of that moment that Jesus returns to bring his justice. Um, on into verse 8. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And I just want to draw your attention to this word punish. You know, we carry into the Bible a lot of our connotations from the life that we live. So we take a word like punish and we put onto that word like wrathful, angry, horrible, mean God or wrathful, angry, horrible, mean dad or angry, horrible, mean teacher or whatever. And we take that and we oppose this onto this word. So we see the word punish and we think of it really negatively. The, the word here, you could, you, could, you could translate it as like full justice. God's going to bring justice. He's going to bring the fullness of justice. So it's the consequence for wrongdoing is going to be brought to everybody. So he says, um, he will punish or bring justice against those who do not know God and do not obey the, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished or they'll experience justice with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among those who have believed. This includes you and us because you believed our testimony to you. So, so in here, he's talking about there is justice coming. Any wrongdoing in the world is going to have its right consequence. So we live in a world where we're looking at all the things going on around about, and we have the question, is God really at work? Is he really going to resolve the brokenness of the world? And, and, and Paul is saying here, yes, justice is coming. But for those 
Jesus came to satisfy the justice of God. He came to die for the things that we've done wrong. So for those who accept his work, we get his righteousness in place of the justice that's owed to us. For those who don't, they get the justice that we all deserve without the solution that they're rejecting. Um, and, and so this is this beautiful description of the grace that he's seeing in this church. He's seeing transformation. He's seeing hope. He's seeing love increase. He's seeing faith and persecution. And in the middle of all that difficulty, standing confidently on the justice of God, he will put everything right. Wrongdoers will experience the consequences. Um, and if we don't want those consequences, we have to rest fully in Jesus. So as we get into the next verse, verse 11, which is where we started, he begins with this in mind. Aware of the grace that is manifest in your presence as you transform. Aware of God's righteous and perfect vindication when Jesus returns. With all of that in mind, this is what I'm praying. We constantly pray for you that God would make you worthy of his calling. And that by his power, he would bring to fruition every desire for goodness, every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus would be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus. It's this incredible prayer that puts so much weight on God's shoulders of the transformation that needs to happen in our midst. So we're, we're going to look at three main elements of this prayer. The prayer that he would make us worthy, the prayer that he'd bring to fruition our desires and our deeds, and then this prayer that Jesus would be glorified in the, middle, in the midst of us. So, so point number one, pray for our church. Pray for yourself, pray for your family, that we would be made worthy of his calling. And again, if you've been tracking with this series, Colossians 1, we looked at this prayer that God would make us worthy, that, he said, that we would live lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Um, and so Paul, he, this is a theme he's bringing back, but in the Colossian letter, he's saying, you live a life worthy of the, of the Lord. In this passage, he's saying, let's have God make you worthy of the calling that he's given you. So this is a prayer for him to do a work in us that aligns with what he's done. And, and we read words like calling and we naturally go to, what's my calling in life? Um, that he'd make you worthy of the thing that you're called to. This is a word, like, it means salvation, your security in your salvation in Jesus, that divine calling to come to him. And everything that entails, that God, it's a prayer that God would make us worthy of the salvation that we walk in that we would live the right kind of life, that we would love in the right way, that we would serve like Christ, that we would cast off the wickedness of our heart and that we would be agents of transformation in the world. So would God do that in us and transform us? God, in this, this verse, it's passive. So God's the one doing the work, not us. And it brings to mind verses like Philippians 2, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So go work it out. And then it says, for it's God who works in you to will and to work according to his good purpose. And so, so th there's this partnership goes on. There's work that we need to do. But, but if we don't have our eyes fixed on the fact that he's the initiator and he's the source and he's the one that's making us worthy, then all our actions are just moralism like we talked about last week. So this is a prayer that we would trust in the work that he's doing to transform us, to be worthy bearers of everything that he's called us into. If you, you want to hear more about being worthy of, of the calling, you can listen to, to the message from a couple of weeks ago again. Uh, so I don't want to labor that today. Um, so point number two, 
pray for the fruition of our desires and our deeds. So this is what it says, that by, we're, we're praying for you that by his power, he bring to fruition every desire for goodness and every deed that's prompted by faith. So again, not go out there and satisfy all your desires and get all the deeds right, but that he would be at work bringing to fruition these things in our life. And we have to remember every time we're reading these letters, this is a communal request. So what this is not saying is pray that God would individually for every one of you satisfy every one of your desires and then completely bless every action you do that's done in faith. I mean, it's in there and it's part of it, but we're talking about individuals in community. So he's writing to the church corporately and saying, for you gathered people as you're living out my will, may God bring to fruition your desires, every desire that is is here as you're carrying out my will together. Every deed and step that you take as you try and implement my plan in this world, may he bring that to fruition. So in the West, we're so bad at reading scripture. Ah, It's not bad, we're just mistaken in the way we read scripture and we automatically just like, it's about me. And so this is like God speaking directly to me and it's all about how I do this thing. And we forget that a lot of the time he's writing to a community of people and saying, how does this work together? Um, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that in a sec. But I, want to, I wanted to make sure we understand this is communal before I start talking about individuals because the individual part is cool. <laughs> I, uh, when I'm preparing these things, like any time I'm reading scripture, there's just other passages and, and things I've heard in the past that jump into mind. So, so as I was looking at this, there was a verse that popped into mind. And when I was living in central England, I was working for the Navigators. I, had, uh, I have a, a friend over there, a good friend, who was also working for Navigators in a different part of the country. And I invited him to come and share with the students that we were ministering to. Um, and, and so he came and his name, his name is Johnny Lawrence Owen. So like his initials, we call him J-Lo. It, I think it's the coolest name. So J-Lo, if you're listening, we love you. But um, that J-Lo, not the other j We love the other J-Lo too. Uh, so so he, he was teaching this, this passage. I'm going to stick it up. Um, it, this is at Psalm 37, verse 4, and it simply says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The verse right before this says, trust in the Lord and do good, Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and it will give you the desires of your heart. So verse three is about good deeds. Trust in the Lord and do good. The second verse is about the desires that we have. So this, this prayer that you bring to fruition, desire indeed, like I see it right in this passage. But, but what Johnny had asked us to do was think through, like what are some of the desires that you're carrying right now for your own life, for your family, for the church, for the country, for the world? What are some of the desires you have? And he had us write them down. So, I mean, if, if there's something coming to mind, scribble it down. Like, what do you really desire? Um, what's the desire of your heart that you want God to give you? And Johnny took us through this exercise and reflecting on, on this passage and reflecting on the desires that we had. But then at the end of it, he said a line that will never leave my brain and has forever shaped the way I live my life. He said this, until your heart fully delights in the Lord, you can't be trusted with the desires of your heart. Until your heart fully delights in the Lord, you can't be trusted with the desires of your heart. Because when our heart is not fully delighting in Him, anything that we desire becomes an idol and takes priority over Him. 
So there are so many good things that we want, but God is waiting for our heart to be more aligned with him and our life to be more caught up in him before he can entrust us with it. Um, as you think about it as a church, you know, you, you, there's a long history here of desiring what would happen in and through this church. We, we're walking in this season of how, how does God want to minister to the people round about? But God can't give us the fruit out there until in here we're ready to be able to steward it and shepherd it and lead it and invest in it. Um, and so until we as a community are fully delighting in him, we still can't be trusted with the fruit that he's wanting to bring. Um, and so individually and collectively, are we posturing ourselves and pursuing utter delight in him so that we can be trusted with the things that he wants to give us? So if we go back to the passage we're supposed to be talking about <laughs> and back to the communal element of, of this prayer that, that he would bring to fruition our desires and our deeds, this isn't just any desires. It isn't just any deeds. There are qualifiers in the passage that explain the kind of actions and desires he's talking about. So the first one, the, he says every desire for goodness, that he'd bring to, to fruition every desire for goodness. So not just any desire, but the desires in your life that align with the goodness of God, that represent his character in the world, the desires that we have communally that want to take all that he is and implement it in the world around about us. What about the deeds? It's not just any deeds, but it's deeds that are prompted by faith. Not just the good ideas that we have, not just the things that we think would be good for our life, for this church, for the community, but the things that the Spirit is speaking over a community that we are then responding to in faith. Um, so desires and deeds marked by our responsiveness to who God is and what he wants to do to us. So it raises this question as you're thinking about desires for your life, for this church, are your desires rooted in him or rooted in self? Are the things that you're hoping for, things that you're excited about, or things that God wants to do in us? Um, are the desires that you're pursuing things that are asking you to die to yourself, or things that are exalting yourself? Um, you know, when you ask a question like this, you, like, I don't want you to, to say, what, what can happen as you say this stuff? is like, oh no, I, like, I'm paralyzed now. Like, I don't know if my deeds are, are like the ones that God wants. I don't know if he's actually telling me to do this right now. I don't know if this desire is me or the Lord. Okay, we're going to put the hope in the fact that this passage is saying God's the one that's going to do it. He's going to bring it to fruition. He's the one that's going to make you worthy. When God is putting things on your heart that align with his word, there's a pretty good chance it's coming from him. So we're going to step forward and we're going to act on those desires. We're going to step forward and we're going to do those good deeds. But here's the challenge in it. We live in the Western world and we're an individualized society. So when we start thinking about every desire that we have, when we start thinking about deeds that are prompted by faith, it goes like this. God told me to do this, therefore it doesn't matter what any of you are doing, what any of you think, what any of you uh, care about, I've got to do this because this is the Lord putting on my heart. And then we come into the church and we say, God's put this on my heart, so this church needs to do this thing. And what we're supposed to do is come in and say, God's put this desire in my heart. Can I submit it to this community and say, God has burdened me for this. Is this something that he's asking us to step into? And sometimes the answer is going to be yes. Like God's putting this in multiple people's heart. Let's figure out how to do this together. And sometimes it's going to be like that, that seems to be just you. Doesn't seem to align with what everyone else has in their heart. And the challenge becomes, are you okay with not getting the things that you want? 
if the community discerns that it's not the direction that God is leading us, and that is hard. Um, the ultimate desire of all of this, if God is, is creating this desire in us that we would have every desire for his goodness, the ultimate act of his goodness was his sacrificial death on the cross. So at the end of the day, the question is, when you're thinking about your desires, do your desires result in death of self for the gain of the people round about, or is it about self-exaltation? Um, and so we have to be willing to die to ourself because that's the ultimate desire that, that he asks us um, to walk in. If the thing that you desire, the ministry that you want to walk in, the, the fruit that you want to see, if those things are truly from the Lord and truly his desire, we can trust him with the outcome. For Jesus, he came in obedience to the Lord, and the outcome was a sacrificial, brutal, torturous death on the cross. So the outcome is not exactly what the Jewish community was hoping for or expecting, and they didn't trust that that was God moving. Um, we can trust him with the outcome, knowing at the very least that if you, God puts something in your heart and you start to act on it and no one else seems to be in alignment, at the very least it's doing a transforming work in you because God is prompting you and you're responding in sensitivity to him. But we have to be okay with that this is not gonna work for this season, or, or that's a great desire that you have, but we gotta hold on to that, and maybe at some other point God's gonna bring this up. So it's, it's our job as a community to be discerning these things together. But are you okay when it gets hard? <laughs> I want to take some liberty with this and re reword it because like when I was tuning this passage, this was really a huge part of what I felt God was saying to us as a church. So number three, pray that God would fulfill our God-sized dreams. Pray that God would fulfill our God-sized dreams. Why did I say that? Because it's supposed to be every desire for goodness for who he is, for what he wants, for what he wants to do in this world, every single deed prompted by faith. And I think when you've been in a season that you've been in a church where there's been like a discouraging long history of not seeing the fruit that you're longing for, when you've had difficult obstacles that you've been walking through, it's very easy to narrow what you're asking God for because I don't wanna put another big hope out there and just see it dashed. And so we start to self-protect. Um, but that's not the way God wants us to live as believers. He's a God of abundance, and he delights to give us the things that, that are on our heart when our hearts are fully delighting in him. And so this is an encouragement. Ask God. Ask God for God-sized dreams. God, blow our minds. Like, we do not understand or comprehend what God can actually do through each one of us. You know, he does immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. So whatever's in your mind, God can blow it out of the water. Whatever we can communally discern that God wants to do in and through this church, God can completely take that a million degrees beyond what we would ever imagine. And so let's be asking him for God-sized dreams to shape our life, to shape the future. And then we step forward and we trust him with the outcome of what that's going to be. Um, so let's pray that he would give us these God-sized dreams and that he'd bring to fruition every desire and every deed that's prompted by faith. So the question is, what does God want here? What does he want to do in you? <laughs> what does he want to do in your family? What does he want to do through this community? 
What is God hoping for, for Beaverton, Hillsborough, Portland, Forest Grove? Like what, what's God's heart for this place? Ask him, what's broken, God? What do you want us to fix? And let's jump in both feet first, ready to do whatever it is that he has for us. The last prayer point is the most important and utterly the least sexy of all the things that we could ask God for. And it's this, pray that Jesus would be glorified in this church. (laughs) You know, we want God to give us the big calling. We want all of our dreams and desires fulfilled. We want to see the fruit. We want all of that stuff. But we have a harder time with the concept of him being glorified. Why? Because quite often for Jesus to be glorified, something has to die. Um... What if Jesus being glorified means that you don't get the things that you're hoping for? What if Jesus being glorified means the church in America experiences a season of intense persecution and he's exalted as we persevere and grow in hope and faith through the middle of it? What if Jesus being glorified means that that you have to die to your deepest desires? Do you still want Jesus to be glorified in the church? So it's not so sexy after all. Maybe I don't want that. I want the flashy version. I, I was in a conversation a long time ago on a retreat with some people, and, and the conversation we were having was this. You know, it's so easy to pray the prayer, God, I want to do great things for you. Help me to change the world. But are you really willing to pray, God, I'm happy to be a nobody if it brings you more glory? You know, that, that verse, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. Um, another, another thing that, that I was listening to recently, they said, you know, what, what's involved in that fruit bearing? Hiddenness and death. You go in a hidden place and you die to self and it bears fruit. But that's, that's not the sexy thing we want in the church. We want the big numbers, the flashy lights, all of that stuff, the, the droves coming in, the miracles. Um, and those are all part of it. But do you really want to see Jesus glorified in here? And what are you willing to die to for that to happen. That's the first part of that little phrase. We'll look at the next two, but we pray this so the name of our Lord Jesus would be glorified in you. So this is him being glorified through our death to self and the resurrection that he wants to work in us. This is him being glorified as we begin to look more like him and we're acting in the world in a way that represents his goodness and his character to the world. This is him being glorified because as soon as we look like him, as soon as we walk into the world confident the power that his spirit is bestowing on us, we see incredible things happen in the lives of the people around about us. He's glorified through that. Um, But the other side of this, he says not just that Jesus would be glorified that in us, but that we would be glorified in him. And that trippy, that we would be glorified in Christ. And I automatically start thinking about scriptures like Romans, where it says, you know, if you suffer with him, you'll also be united with him in his glory. And that relationship between suffering and glory that's all the way through scripture, death to self results in his glory and ours. Because this amazing thing happens when you start looking like Jesus, God delights in Christ 
And the more we start to resemble him, the more God is delighting in what is happening in our lives. And God has set it up in such a way that we start receiving glory. So when you're out there and you're serving someone with humble, self-sacrificial service, people look at you and they go, that was so amazing. You're such an incredible person. And God's like, yeah, you are. And you get a little snippet of that glory that, that is due to Christ. As you lead people in song and someone's like, man, you have such a beautiful voice. I was led into the throne room of Jesus. In that moment in Christ, you get a little snippet and experience of his glory given to us. Um, so this amazing prayer in here, not just that he would be glorified in us, but then that we would be glorified as we're united with him and led into everything we talked about, the inheritance uh, that, that he's given to us, the riches that are available to us, the fruit that he promises to us. Um, and then the last little phrase in here, if, if we're in any doubt about how this happens, so go out there and glorify Jesus, go out there and be conformed to his image, go out there and make it happen. He says all of this, him glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of of our God and the, our Lord Jesus Christ. So all through this passage, look, we pray for you that God would make you worthy, that by his power, he would bring to fruition your desires, and that Jesus would be glorified according to his grace at work in you. So he's putting this squarely on the shoulders of the Lord to bring this transformation, make us worthy, bear fruit in our midst, may Jesus be exalted as we die to self in order to love and reach the world round about us. Such an amazing and reassuring thing that he doesn't place any of this on our shoulders. And if we start going out there and we do this apart from the grace of God, where do we end up? We end up in the moralism that we talked about last week. Um, when you're trying to satisfy your desires apart from the Lord, that's called sin. <laughs> When we're out there engaging in actions apart from the Lord, that's also a form of sin. <laughs> it's all about us being in him, secure in his grace. The, the last thing that I want to say is, you know, there's this weird thing that I encounter a lot in churches, and it's probably like the biggest misconception about grace that I hear people talk about. And it's, you know, like God's grace covers over all our sins, Right? That's, that's good and right, okay. I'm not saying that's, that's the misconception. So God's grace covers over all our sins. So, so what people describe grace as is, is like there's this giant bucket up there of grace and you go out today and you do something wrong and you fall on your knees before the Lord and he drops like a little drop of grace on your life and then you're wiped back to like clean. And so the goal of life is that if I can just get to the end of the day drawn on as little of that grace as possible so that I'm not, because I'm not doing bad things in my life. And people are like, that, that grace, you only need it when you do bad. Um, and I hear it all the time and I, I'm seeing some confused faces. So I'm like, praise Jesus that it's not your struggle. <laughs> But, but this is it, that God, his mercies are new every morning. Every morning there is like a store of grace filled up just for your life. And the goal of every day of your life is that you get to the end of the day and that vat is empty because every single thing you've done that day depended on his grace. 
that you drew on his grace to meet with him in the morning, that you drew on his grace to encourage the person sitting next to you at work, that you drew on his grace to, to, to minister to someone, that you responded and drew on his grace to feed the hungry, to give uh, water to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, that, that you draw on his grace to offer to forgiveness to someone that's hurt you. So the goal is we live in a posture that every day we exhaust that quantity of grace and then what happens? His mercies are new every morning. So great is his faithfulness. You wake up the next day with a new vat of mercy and grace ready for you to stand in. So all of this is done according to his grace. So the question then becomes, again, as we've said multiple times, are we receptive? Are our eyes fixed on him? Are we trusting him to transform us, to make us worthy? Are we sitting in a posture of receptivity that's saying with every act, with every thought, with every uh, intention of my heart, I want it to be absorbing his grace and passing it on to the people around about us. Because what happens when we do that? Jesus is glorified in us and us in him according to his grace and he's exalted. So each week, I've, I've assigned the same homework. Sometimes I've put it up on the screen, sometimes I haven't, but it's the same homework. That Grab the little green card, take it away, pray this passage over your life, over your family, over this church, over the church in Portland Metro. Um, what a prayer, that we would all be made worthy. And in this season, with all of the craziness going on, that people would look at us and see Jesus. Um, that the desires of the church in Portland would be fulfilled that our deeds would result in fruit uh, and that he would move in and through us in a way that glorifies him. And the other part of it is the evaluation part. Sit with this prayer. Like, do, are you trusting him to transform you? Are you depending on his grace? Are you praying and seeking and walking into God-sized dreams or is it me-sized dreams? Like, sit with this and chew on it and see where in my heart am I aligned with him and where uh, do I fall short? And so we'll do as we've done. I'm, I'm going to pray. Um, the band's going to come up. But I would like, after I pray, I'd, I would just love a couple of volunteers um, to, to whatever is being stirred in your heart as a result of this message. I just want a couple of people to pray over our church that, that we would see these things uh, come true. So, so I'll pray. Um, and then we'll, we'll take a, a moment to be silent. And, and anyone else that wants to pray can pray. And then we'll close with a song. God, you are good, you are generous, and you're just. Um, and that gives us so much confidence in you, because your way is right. Uh, your truth brings life. God, and as things happen in this world, and we look at them and think, how could this be happening? It doesn't make sense. Why does God not deal with this? Lord, you've promised us that the evil will have consequences. Um, and there's a moment where Jesus will return and, and everything will be put right and it'll all make sense. Um, Lord, and we thank you that as people who know you, that when that moment comes, that we are secure in your justice. We're secure in the righteousness that Christ has poured into us. God, I thank you that when we woke up this, this morning, I mean, this has been on my mind a lot, that as, as we woke up this morning, you were sitting at our bedside just waiting on us, waking up, because you wanted to spend time with us and be in conversation with us. 
you kept watch over our bed all night. Um, and, and many times you're speaking truth into us as we sleep. You're, you're aiding our dreams. Um, and God, we want to be receptive, but thank you that all night you waited for us. You woke up in this morning delighted uh, to spend time with us, and that's, God, help us to grasp that. God, give us revelation in who you are, this prayer, um, that, that you would make us worthy, God, part of how we're made worthy. We need you revealing yourself to us. We need glimpses of your love. It's like Moses, Lord, show me your glory. Because we know when we see your glory and we catch a glimpse of you, we're changed. And when we're changed because of you, then it impacts how we live in this world and how we move in and around other people. And God, would you be doing that sanctifying work in our lives that, that we would be fixated on your goodness and on your character so that every desire we have individually and as a community is aligned with you. And then God, would you grant the desires that we have and for years, uh, from infancy, you've been placing desires in, in the hearts of the people in this room. Um, the desires for what their role will be in your kingdom. Desires for how to fix the brokenness in the world. God, bring to fruition those desires. God, you're constantly leading us and prompting us to step out in faith. Give us boldness. Boldness to step out and help. Boldness to share the gospel where it's needed. Boldness to walk into dark places with the light of your truth. And may every deed that's prompted by faith bear fruit. And then, Lord, you, you say that may the name of Jesus be exalted and glorified in us and us in him. So, God, that's our ultimate desire. We don't often realize that that's our ultimate desire because the things of the world drown it out. But you've placed in us a desire for Jesus to be exalted. So we pray that in this church, in this city, the name of Jesus would be lifted up. Pour out your spirit. Transform our lives. Fix our eyes on him. And send us out, empowered by your spirit, to do amazing, incredible, miraculous things that point people back to you. Lord, and we do it all in your grace. So just smother us in your grace. Saturate us in it. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.